Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis introducing another poet out of the heart of the Norwich spoken word scene, Ollie Watson. Ollie hosts a poetry slam in Norwich and regularly performs in the city and beyond, including four years at the Edinburgh Fringe. If he was as positive and outspoken about his own poetry as he is about other people's, he might get the recognition he deserves. But you can judge for yourself with this opening poem. Uh, so this poem is called Jumper. His jumper was too big for him, but it looked warm. I sat alone because no one I knew liked poetry and I hadn't asked. You want to come see a poet with me so I don't have to play on my phone, look busy, look wanted. He read and all I could think about was his jumper, where it would fall on my thighs, how it would be great to sleep in. I used to have a similar jumper, which you used to steal. It had a hood, but his was yellow and sailorish, so they were probably equal. I think I left mine on a beach in North Norfolk on that last holiday we had when the kids were little and we could barely stand each other. And we hoped they wouldn't notice that one of us was always popping for ice cream or just having a nap. One night it rained and we were all trapped in the tent. One last night to be sure, then whatever came next. I like the way you start with a jumper and uh, you go on to tell half your life story. Um, how, how did that poem come about? Um, well, I was, I was going to see a poet called John Osborne. Do you know him? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's one of my favourite poets and he was, he was wearing this jumper, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know, it, it just got me thinking. I, I never really know how and why I go places with poetry. I, I don't tend to really think out what I write or plan anything. I just sort of start writing and, and let it go. And um, I just, a lot of the stuff I was thinking about at the time was um, sort of um, my kids and sort of my, uh, the breakup I was going through and all that sort of jazz. And it sort of out came the poem. And so when all that came out, how did it feel? Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely use writing as a, like a cathartic thing to, to, you know, so I'm not shouting at the clouds or whatever it is. I, I put it down on, in notebooks. So yeah, I, I definitely use writing to, you know, shake out all the, all the down stuff and all the negativity so I can um, try and be a bit jollier in life and that have you. Yeah. I often ask people how they got into poetry, um, which is, uh, I think, quite an interesting story in your case. Yeah, well, I, I guess um, I was always writing ever since I was a kid. I, I never thought I would perform. or it was, I was always writing for me, basically. I used to do diaries and all that jazz. And um, so, yeah, I was always writing. I, um, I went to, um, <clears throat> sorry, I, I failed my law degree. Then I worked in a casino. Then I went to Norwich Art School and did, a, um, did the creative writing uh, degree. Uh, uh, yeah, that sort of got me into writing again. And then I went traveling, did all sorts of things. I was writing lots then. And then eventually I became an English teacher. And uh, I think the only year of my life I didn't actually do any writing 
was when I was in the classroom in a secondary school because as any teacher will know, it just sucks the life out of you teaching. It was just, I mean, it was the hardest year of my life. So obviously I'm, I'm not uh, heroic enough to be a teacher or, or committed enough. So I abandoned that and um, yeah, I became a Thatcher. I saw some guys on a roof one day working and in the sun and it looked amazing. And I just phoned up a bunch of Thatchers and uh, eventually one of them allowed me to come on the roof and watch what he did. And I kept turning up, kept sweeping up for him. Uh, and this was about six years ago. Mm. And uh, after about four months of turning up for free and just doing some work for him, he, he gave me a job. And then uh, uh, through that, um, he, my master Thatcher, is one of really good friends with Luke Wright, the poet, who is obviously, he, uh, he did one of your, um, your podcasts and it was brilliant. And I love him to bits as a poet. And I'd never heard of him, never heard of spoken word poetry, never heard of performing. And uh, my master Thatcher showed me the poem Essex Lion, which I still think is one of the greatest poems ever written. And since that, I've been basically trying to copy him ever since, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible career changes you've been through. Um, yeah, I, I don't tend to sit still on anything for a while, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um but uh does that help the creativity um yeah i think i've i've talked to a bunch of i've got friends who are professional poets and are touring poets and who try and make money out of poetry or art or any creative thing and i have just got so much respect for them because i could not do that in a million years i um i don't know how they do it to, to imagine to try and write a poem to feed your children would, I just wouldn't write anything, you know. I'd, writing for me has always been a hobby, uh, something, an escape, something that's joyous and lovely to do. I mean, often people talk about that, that blank page syndrome where you just look at the page and you can't, you can't write anything. Mm. And I've honestly never had that in my life. I've never sat and said, I, I've always got something to say in my brain. I think that is to do with the fact I'm out there, you know, living life, I'm not in the poetry world. I'm not in a creative world. I'm not trying to sell my poems. Um, I'm obviously trying to get them published, but so far I've been 100% successful in being turned down every single time. <laughs> so um, That's but, a shame. Know, I, yeah, well, I just do it for a bit of fun. Every year I, I try and send off a few poems to some places and see, mm. just sort of wait for the rejection letters just to, you know, ground me beautifully. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I, I love writing. I do it. You know, some people love riding bikes or whatever it is their hobbies are. Mine is mine is writing. So, so yeah, no, I love it. That's why that's why I do it, I guess. Yeah, but it's, it's almost like you have to keep a bit of distance from it as well. Yeah, no, it does help. I think. Plus, I mean, I I go to loads of poetry nights in Norwich, and I I put one on myself, and I, I I'm fairly connected with the you know the Norwich poetry scene stuff, but um. I love poets and I love performers who surprise me. I love, I love when I suddenly sit up and I'm like, oh, Christ, I haven't heard that before. Oh, they're writing it. I mean, when I first heard you, Patrick, not to blow your trumpet, <laughs> but when I first heard you, literally my head shot up and went, oh, okay, I need to concentrate on this guy because the way you write, the way you perform is so different than other people. And it's not that, you know, I don't want to be rude to other poets and other young people, and, but a lot of, you know, 90% of the stuff I hear when I go to poetry nights, whether they be in Norwich. I mean, I did the National Poetry Slam final in, uh, in um, the Royal Albert Hall 
And I remember sitting there really excited because I was with the best poets in Britain and it was going to be amazing. And it wasn't, it was really underwhelming. It was just a bunch of, you know, middle-class people moaning and it was just, oh my God. And whereas sometimes people just, just take you by, take you in a different direction, take you in a way you couldn't believe that poetry can. And that's what I look for in poetry. And that's what I try and do. I try not to do what everyone else is doing or write about things that other people are writing about in a sense. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you're very uh, generous in your uh, praise and support for uh, other poets. Well, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I, I just, when I like something, I really like something, Patrick. <laughs> I, I can be really critical and horrible to people. I just don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's certainly your uh, enthusiasm uh, always comes across on stage. Um, so um, what have some of the other highlights been of, of your time as a, a poet and spoken word performer? Um, well, when I first did, I've done Edinburgh for four years now, and I, I love Edinburgh. I mean, it's heartbreaking. It crushes you as a human being, like you wouldn't believe. You know, you're out there selling your soul on the on the streets of Edinburgh with thousands of other people, and you you work for three or four hours, flyering people, and you know, sweet talking them into your show, and then like four people turn up, and two of them sit on their phone and ignore you. And you're like, oh God, what am I doing this for? But then you have nights when you know that it just takes off and people you know i had um a night last year i did my i took my dogging show up to edinburgh and uh i had a night there it was about five or six other poets in the audience who came along to see me and they loved it and they just were so nice to me about it and these are people who are professional poets and stuff and that just made my day i was i was absolutely overjoyed so yeah when stuff like that happens that's why you do it um, i remember i did a I did the Suffolk Poetry Festival, and this is quite a lot of people there are quite are older, you know, write about starlings and hedgerows and this sort of stuff, you know, and nothing to do with what I write about. And I took a poem there, and it's a bit of a sweary poem, and it's got lots of hand waving and stuff I write, and it's all about God. And I remember this lady came up to me afterwards, she must have been about 90 and barely walk and everything, and she just sort of put her hand on my arm and said to me, I've, I've been waiting my whole life to sum up for someone to sum up my relationship with God and you've just done it. And that broke my heart. I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's why I yeah. Like, yeah. It just, I just love it. I've got, and I, I remember I did a, I did a festival down near Sudbury and I was uh, in the poetry. I was in the no, comedy tent, but I did a poem anyway. I'd often do that. I go to comedy nights and do poetry just to, just to annoy people. And um, I did this poem about football. And uh, this guy came up to me afterwards and he was sunburnt. He had a football top on. I mean, he was a complete, you know, football hooligan yob. And he was drunk as anything. And he just put his arm around me and he goes, I hate poetry. Just hate it. But you, you're all right. And, and that just made my day as well. Because this is someone who's never listened to a poem in his life. And he, he stayed, in the, stayed in the tent, listened to it and was really into it. I love that. You know, if you can take poetry to people who don't normally listen to poetry and keep their attention, I think then you're doing something right, basically. Yes, well, a lot of uh, people have uh, preconceptions about poetry or a very narrow definition of what it is. And it's yeah, great when you can break those barriers well. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I mean, I did. I look at some of my stuff I was writing at university or even when I was younger, and I think, bloody hell, I, I wouldn't read that ever, <laughs> you know. So it took me a while. They, they talk about finding your voice. I don't know if you – I know you teach a lot of writing, but talk about finding your voice on stage and performing and, and on the page. It takes a while to. But then when you do, you just gotta, you got to run with it, basically, don't you? Mm, yeah. Yeah. You have such a positive attitude to the whole writing business. What advice would you give to other poets or people wanting to get into poetry? Firstly, don't listen to anything I say, because <laughs> I haven't got a clue. Um, uh, I just listen to poetry, watch poetry, go to poetry gigs and write. Just write and write and write some more. If people tell you it's rubbish, ask them why, ignore them, carry on writing. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be able to judge it yourself, I think. I've, I spent a lot of time at university being told what I was writing. I shouldn't be. I remember I, I had a tutor there who told me you shouldn't be putting comedy in poetry. And a lot of the stuff I love to write now just got at university. People just sort of said, no, that's rubbish. And I ended up trying to be you know, trying to be Dylan Thomas or something. I was just trying to write crap Dylan Thomas poetry and it was awful. And it was only uh, when I left university and I saw what other people were doing like Luke and I saw, wow, you can swear in poetry? What? You, you can <laughs> tell stories about a lion. You can tell stories about everyday stuff, which I, I mean, often people say I'm a, a, like a narrative poet. I tell stories more than I do other things. And I, I, I think often I think I'm more a storyteller than a poet really. I, I don't know if you've ever seen that um, uh, that chart, that kids' cartoon, Robin Hood, with all the foxes. It's like a Disney one. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, that was my like favourite film when I was a kid. And um, everyone normally, when you're a kid, you want to be Robin Hood, don't you, or Maid Marian, or you know, one of the heroes. But I always wanted to be the cockerel who was like who's telling the story, you know, walking around with his loot and being really cool and just telling everyone what happened. So yeah, I, I always wanted to be that basically, and. Um, that's sort of what I try and do now. I, I turn up at pubs, you know, impose myself, <laughs> shout really loudly, tell a story, and then sit down and see what everyone else is up to. Uh, Luke Wright and a cartoon cockerel, uh, interesting role models. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the title of my next show. Thank you very much, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you have uh, some additional inspiration. Uh, in the form of a, a writing prompt. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I found this a bit difficult because, as I say, I I just write. I never I never really use writing prompts or anything like that. I know it's really helpful for lots of people, and it's a great way to get started if you haven't got the confidence of writing. There's loads. I mean, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and the people, the stuff they put on there is great. It's a great way of going about it. But it was yeah, there was one thing I did when I was. Um, Basically, um, I love Larkin. I absolutely adore him, basically because he's a miserable bastard. And um, he's, um, he's, one of his quotes, which I absolutely love, is um, he said, I've never been much interested in other people's poetry, which I think is brilliant because I'm a bit like that sometimes. I can be a bit just, I write loads and I love writing and I don't really care what other people think about it. And I don't necessarily, you know, if someone asked me about the, I don't know, romantic poets like you had Andy Bennett on one of your podcasts yeah and he's a really good friend of mine and he knows so much about poetry and he's and I'm the absolute antithesis of Andy I know nothing about meter and you know 
and Jam and or all these other things. I haven't got a bloody clue. So, um, but uh, I, what I wanted to do was try and learn how to focus on words a bit better, like single words, and see the power of one word in a poem. Because I'm much more throw loads of words at it and sort of disguise all the rubbish ones. So I, I did this thing where I started trying to change Larkin's poems just a little bit, you know, yeah. not every word, but just one word a line, two words a line and sort of, um, and try and get a new poem out of it. Essentially what my writing prompt is. So you, you choose a poem you love can be anyone and just start trying to change it. Start trying to mess about with it. See if it takes you in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got an example of that? Yeah, I have. I cha- Larkin's got a poem called Sad Steps, which I, I adore. It's an absolutely brilliant poem. So um, I won't read his version, but I'll read, I'll read out my poem. Does that, that sound good? Yeah. All right, cool. I'll crack on. Uh, yeah, so I called it Her Steps. Groping back to bed after sex, she parts thick curtains, and I'm startled by the length of her legs and the moon's neglect. Four o'clock. Wedge-shadowed silhouettes lie under a carnivorous, wind-picked sky. There's something magical about this. The way the moon dashes through legs that move loosely as cannon smoke to stand apart. Stone-coloured light sharpening the feet below. High and preposterous and separate. Lozenge of love, medallions of art, they stain my memory measurements I shiver slightly looking up there the hardness and the brightness and the plain far-reaching singleness of her wide stare and silent challenge to the strength and joy of being young being girl and boy whilst others lie somewhere diminished so yeah, I uh, I stole Larkin and I, uh, I I changed it up a bit. Yeah, yeah, um, there are quite uh, a few lines in that which are similar or the same, but I I like the way you've changed, uh, almost turned it around because the original was about uh, an old man who's alone and is uh, thinking of how there are young people elsewhere, and this is a, a young couple. Exactly. I sort of jumping into the thing that the old man was thinking about, I guess. I mean, I don't think I thought it through that cleverly. I think you're, you're giving me slightly more, uh, <laughs> slightly more uh, yeah, reward for what I wrote. But yeah, I don't know. When you do it, I think it, I don't know about when you're writing, but I'm really not that thoughtful or that, you know, I just sort of go for it and just throw words at the page and just crack on with it. And then it goes in really interesting directions. And then when you come back to edit, then you can take it in other directions. And, you know, I'm getting much better at editing as I've got older and I, I enjoy it a lot more sort of thing. But um, when I write, I often, I mean, I do a lot more spoken word poems, longer ones. And often these are four or five minutes long. And I, I can generally complete them in one or two sittings. You know, I'm, I'm not someone who, who agonizes over poetry. I know um, Larkin, he talks about um, Wits and Weddings, obviously one of his most favourite poems. And it took him like three and a half years to write, which is absolutely insane to me. I just, I can't imagine someone writing on a, you know, agonising over every word like that. So that's why I quite like this way of writing, because it, 
it forces me to think about things I'm not very good at writing, which I mean, it's another bit of advice, I guess, for anyone who is writing, try and find out what you're not very good at and, and find a way of practicing it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to um, explore others work um, and uh, find a new angle. And there's a great thing with a lot of Larkin's poem is there's a strong opinion or a strong topic there, which you can then kind of uh, subvert or, or change in some way. Yeah, no, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. I mean, my favourite poem I ever written is High Windows. I just absolutely love that poem sort of thing. So, mm. yeah, so if, if anyone's at home and they haven't heard or haven't read High Windows, sort of jump on that. That's an absolutely beautiful poem. It just, um, I'm, I'm constantly telling people to read High Windows, read High Windows. <laughs> yeah, uh, great recommendation. Yeah, so... Um... We're in lockdown. Uh, there's no Edinburgh this year, whether you like it or not. Um, I know. What Gutting. are you up to? Um, what? Uh, How am I coping? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's hard. I'm, I'm naturally. I like showing off in front of crowds. I, I love. You know, I try and gig quite a lot, whether it's comedy or poetry. I do a lot of. I don't know if you've heard of a like a poet comedian called Tim Key. He does lots of really short poems. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I like. I, with my long poems, I copy Luke Wright. With my short, short poems, I copy Tim Key. So I go to a lot of comedy nights and do that. So yeah, I'm, I'm missing that a lot. Um, so the other day I was in my, um, in, in my mum's garage. And so I decided to record my uh, Thatcher's Guide to Dogging in Bungie um, Edinburgh show that I've done for the last few years. So I recorded that and then put that up on YouTube. So that gave me a little bit of, you know, performance uh, thrill or whatever it is that you miss. Um, I guess I'm, my show this year that I was writing for Edinburgh is, um, is called um, Scottish Colin Won the Meat Raffle Again. And it's sort of all about my generation of men and the fact that um, we're like the forgotten generation. Like there's loads of us committing suicide and we, we're not very good at you know, talking about our feelings. And it's sort of based about, about my friend who's, got a, who's part of a men's group and how he likes talking and likes getting his emotions out there. And, I'm a bit crap at that, to be honest. Even though I do write poetry, I tend to put it on page. But so yes, it's, it's, yeah, it's a whole, it's, uh, whole show about that. So I'm I'm sort of writing that at the moment in lockdown. Yeah, so that uh, sounds more uh, serious than a lot of what you've done. How, how are you uh, yeah. managing to uh, approach that? It's difficult because I'm trying to write it as a one-hour like play more like like a one-man play mm. sort of thing. So it's a totally different way of writing. You know, you have to. It's difficult. It's, I mean, I find it quite quite tricky. But whether you're writing first person when you're writing third person, with how you're going to jump about, how to tell the story without lecturing people about you know depression and suicide and all this, because I mean, there's nothing worse than you go out for a night out and then someone just comes at you with all these dark images about horrible stuff. I mean, I I I like to deal with big issues in my poetry, but do it with very light touch and do it in a way that other people can, can think about, can, can let them in sort of thing. I've got, I've got a poem called Sad Trainers in my dogging show, which I know you've definitely heard, Patrick, because I do it quite a lot <laughs> around Norwich. Um, and that's, you know, it's all about being bullied when I was younger. And if I just came out and did a straight poem about being bullied, oh, I was bullied, whoa, 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 is me, everyone would just switch off like that. They'd be like, oh, Christ, I'm not out on a Wednesday night at the birdcage, whatever, in Norwich to, to, to see this. But my poem talks about 
you know, having certain amount of shoes that are a bit sad. And I think that can instantly, that puts people in remembering when they were young and they had to wear funny clothes or whatever it is their mum or dad bought to them. And then you're in sort of thing. And then you can start messing with their emotions sort of thing, which is, which is what I like to do. I mean, with a, with a spoken word poetry, if you can get people to sort of laugh and cry within five minutes in the same poem, then, then you're away, then you've nailed it. So that's what I always try and aim for. Yeah, well, uh, uh, thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts and your poetry. I think you've got uh, one to finish with, one of your longer ones. Uh, yeah, well, uh, this is the one I often do at comedy nights. I, I do my, my short poems and then I, and I get them with this one. So um, I know you've heard this one as well. Yeah, well, well thanks for having me. I guess I should, I should say thank you to you. And uh, this one's called, um, well, it's called the Toby Carvery, I guess. So I'm sat here in a Toby Carvery, trying to write some crisis poetry. And obviously, have a Carvery, except mine will be meat-free. An old couple sit opposite me, table number two, and they're, they're both wearing really smart shoes. And well, she's got this lump, which well, I choose not to look at, because well, it's rude to look at someone with a lump on their neck, bulging like the abdomen of an insect half hidden behind a, a scarf more purple than red but now I'm not sure I want to have my food yet I keep stealing glimpses of the bulging mass sat halfway out on her shoulder pads surely the doctor can see that the NHS can't be that bad but thankfully the the old couple with the nice shoes soon leave and well, I go and get my food or meat free just cabbage peas potato and gravy but it's only when I sit down that I remember the poetry. Oh, fuck it, and my mood turns sour as I gaze upon this potato tower, the gravy falling like a chocolate shower, causing a crisis neath the cauliflower, but I can't resist the smell. I can feel the page shout and yell, you're going straight to poetry hell, but I eat and eat and eat and swell. Till another couple comes to table number two, ease a geezer with a neck tattoo. She's got old and tired shoes and he talks too much as geezers do. He talks so much that he shakes my pen and I, well, I barely even touched my plate by then. And I, I've tried to write a word or ten on who and what and why and when, but well, well, the tone within his chilling voice, it, it sits on me like those bully boys, quite simply the most annoying noise as he complains his turkey's moist. Except he can't find a word. So he clicks aggressively at his bird. Ah, oh, what the fuck is that word? Moist! I scream to the whole pub preserved. And then his eyes look back at me, his fork falling flat and splashing up the gravy. His plate still full and not meat free. What the fuck did you say to me? Moist. That's the word you want. And I desperately want to add the word you cut. A suffix on a dull sentence just to see what happens next. But then his eyes shift from my face and it's then that his confusion wakes. He, he just doesn't know what to make. You've, you've, you've got no meat on your plate. And then his eyes look back at me. The anger lost like it's never been. A question building like the sullen sea. What the fuck are you doing in a carvery? Was then, then I admitted I was writing poetry 
about a crisis that's never been because well for the most part i've been lucky i'm just one of those people that's generally happy and neither of us knew what to do then him with his moist turkey and me with my pen but well suddenly i realized how this poem would end not with the crisis but well with a friend because in truth i quite liked his neck tattoo and when his girlfriend smiled you could see her bloom it was well it was like sunshine in a darkened room i even noticed we had the same shoes i never found a crisis in the carvery but i learned one thing about me i live in a glass house and i'm guilty of just throwing out stones when it suits me so i pulled up a chair at table number two me and Gary laughing about having the same shoes before he introduced me to his wife Sue, her name in a heart on his neck, tattooed. That was Ollie Watson with some great poems and lovely words about his favourite poets. All that's left for me is to share my response to Ollie's exercise and the poem I chose to adapt was One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. I chose this because it puts forward an opinion, allowing me to explore the opposite view in my version. I'll read the original first. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seemed filled with the intent. To be lost, but their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day, accept the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice losing farther, losing faster, places and names and where it was you meant to travel. None of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch, and look, my last or next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones and vaster, some realms I owned, two rivers, a continent. I missed them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture I love, I shan't have lied, it's evident. The art of losing's not too hard to master, though it may look like, write it, like disaster. Some of you might have noticed that was a villanelle, a tricky form to master, but it helps if you have someone else's to base it on, and Elizabeth Bishop is never a bad starting point. So that was the one art, and here's my version, bound art. The art of finding isn't hard to master. Soon you'll find you find without intent, and all you do is keep on searching harder. Find something every day, accept the fluster, of doorless keys and piles of dusty scents. The art of finding isn't hard to master. You'll soon be finding more and finding faster, Tables, odd socks, knickknacks, what's the sense? When all you do is keep on searching harder. I found my mother's watch and many others. My house is a museum of time misspent. 
the art of finding isn't hard to master. I found two settees, lovely ones, a ghetto blaster, carved whale bones, biker's leathers and a tent. I've no room left, yet keep on searching harder. But finding you in amongst life's clutter shall prove me right at last. It's evident the art of finding isn't hard to master, but when you've found true love, no search is harder. Well, I hope that's given you inspiration to try one yourself, and I look forward to reading what you come up with. As always, please share your work. You can find details of how to do so at poetrynonstop.com, where you will also find full details about this episode and everything else Poetry Nonstop related. I'm Patrick Widdis. I'll be back with more soon. Until then, thank you for listening and keep writing.